Hello, hello, all right. I'll figure out how to work this button. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Let me be the third one to say happy Father's Day, or maybe the fifth or sixth. I don't know how many times you're agreed to that outside. I know I did my fair share of saying happy Father's Day. Welcome to the venue. Um, before we get started, I need 10 volunteers just to go ahead and stand up. If you want to be one attendant, preferably adults. It could be kids if you want. Uh, 10, all right, I've got one. We got two, three, four, five. Look, almost all dads. We got six, seven, eight. Well, we got three. Not. I think that's it. All right, hold. Up. Hold up. All right, there we go. Right there. If, if see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, there we go. Yeah. You're welcome. Oh, did you? No, you can sit down once you get your money. Thank you. What is this? It's my wallet. <laughs> there you go. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. You can sit down. And that's how we do it at venue. So if you're new, you might want to come next Sunday. <laughs> All right, let me start by reading 2 Chronicles 20. 2 Chronicles 20. Let me open up my computer. 2 Chronicles 20. I think it might, might come up. If not, just listen. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Mennonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children, 
And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, son of Jeel, son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the Kohathites, and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire, as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they had blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Baraka to this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Let's pray. The gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I thank you that this is a day that you have made. Help us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit be in this place. Lord, I know that today is a hard day for some of us in this room. It's difficult. But as we've heard already this morning, we have a Father who is madly in love with us who is pleased with us, his son and his daughter. 
And so we pray for your spirit to be in this room. We pray that you would comfort souls. We pray that you would awaken souls. We pray for the dead, that they would become alive. We pray for the sick, that they would be healed. Father, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray for truth. And if I'm not to speak truth, Lord, shut my lips. Lord, I thank you for your perfect love. And I thank you for this morning. And I pray that you be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to read another passage. Luke 17. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, he being Jesus. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Today's message is on that passage. The ten lepers, the nine, and the one. This being Father's Day, I know I tend to use this as an opportunity to talk about my father-in-law when I get behind here. And believe it or not, here's another opportunity. About several years ago, our, my father-in-law, Alicia's dad, uh, told us this story. And he explained it in such a way that made a huge impact. And wouldn't you know that the Sunday that I get to preach on Father's Day is on this sermon. So this sermon holds a um, special place in my heart. One for my earthly dad, two for my heavenly father. So... I'm sure many of y'all are familiar with leprosy. If not, I'm going to explain it to you. In the Bible, leprosy was the kiss of death. It was dead man walking. Um, the disease itself would just uh, cause limbs to fall off, fingers, toes to disappear. Your, your nose would eventually just start eating away and it goes, goes away. I'm sorry if you have little kids here. I'll, I'll keep it clean. Um, it just, it was, it was a, it, it disfigured you. It disfigured you. They would um, eventually lose, uh, which was really, you thought the losing fingers and toes and maybe limbs was a bad, but the other thing was that it would start losing um, nerve, feeling of your nerves. My, my uncle was a, para, a quadriplegic, and there was a story one time where he was sitting in front of a bonfire and his friends that were around him decided to move him away from the bonfire, and he was wondering why, and they looked down, and his shoes had melted. He couldn't feel it. Um, 
And so that's what it was for these lepers is they start to lose uh, feeling. And so they don't know if they were getting infected. They didn't know if they had wounds, if they were getting burned, if they were getting cut. They didn't know. And so it began to disfigure them. It also affected their vocal cords. They started to, speaking of, I need to get some water. It began to make their voice raspy. And, you know, in, in here we see that, um, that the ten lepers, that they were at a distance and they lifted up their voices. They had to learn how to lift up their voices because their voices did not work. They could not scream and yell. And so because of this raspy voice, they would have to gather in unison and lift up their voice so that people would hear them. They also had to lift up their voice, well, one, to warn others. You know, part of the, um, the curse of having leprosy is you had to let everybody know that you were unclean. And so if you were out and someone was approaching you, these lepers would have to, with one voice, begin letting them know, the, the passerby, that they were unclean. So you saw them, some of them missing parts. You heard them because they were lifting up their voice. Um, but you also began to smell them. I mean, they, you know, skin was rotting away. So they had the smell. So they were just a... Um, People would say that if you had leprosy, then that was your curse, that God was cursing you. And, and for every uh, reason, you would believe that based upon sight and based upon their cries and based upon their smell. They were an outcast. But it wasn't just a physical toll that they encountered. It was also an emotional toll. They were not allowed in town. They were not allowed with their family. They were sent away. They usually found themselves grouping together. They were moved from community. They were by themselves. They were left alone. They roamed together. They begged together. And they did so at a great distance. Can you imagine being isolated like that? Can you imagine the pain, the physical pain of your body and, and what has taken place but yet also the emotional pain where you cannot find acceptance from people around you, that you end up having to hang out with like-minded people who are also in misery, also in misery. And here they are, these 10 lepers, going about their day, just hanging out. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered the village, he was met by 10 lepers. So here are 10 lepers hanging out. Probably doing the same thing that day as they were doing the day before that they would be doing the next day, the following week. And here comes Jesus. You think they hit the jackpot. Here comes Jesus. What's truly amazing is they recognized Jesus. These ten lepers, they weren't probably going to walk all around. They probably couldn't walk very well. So here they were together and they recognized they recognize Jesus. They must have known who he was. They must have heard stories about him. They must have knew, known his capabilities. They must have known his power. And from a long distance, with one voice, they lift and they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Master, have mercy on us. They knew who Jesus was. They recognized him at a distance. And with one voice, they lifted together and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
What does Jesus tell them to do? He says, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Do you think Jesus had the power to heal, heal them right there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is that, did he just say yeah? Absolutely. Yes, Trip. you're right. He could have. They probably heard stories of that. They probably heard stories of Jesus healing like that on the spot. But Jesus doesn't heal them on the spot. Jesus tells them to go and show themselves the priest. And what do the ten lepers do? They go. That amazes me. I mean, so often I, I hear this story and I think, oh, they got such little faith. No. All ten lepers had faith. From what I can tell, all ten lepers had faith. One, they recognized Jesus for who he was. They recognized what he could do. They cried out to him to have mercy on him. And when he said, go to the priest, they went to the priest. Jesus could have healed them there, but he knew, Jesus knew that they knew the law. And that these ten lepers, for all intents and purposes, were probably sent out of the village by the priest that they were supposed to go visit. These ten lepers knew that they needed the priest approval to be accepted back in to camp. Now, it doesn't change how they look. They're asking for mercy. They're crying out to Jesus. They recognize Jesus. They say, heal us, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, get up and go to the priest. And they go. They go. Maybe hobbling on crutches, helping one another. Not sure how they did it, but they went. You see, a priest, the reason why, and you can, if you go to Leviticus 13, you can read all about what the priest did and did not do regarding leprosy. But the priest was pretty much like the public health inspector. The priest was the one that would tell the leper that he is cleansed, give him his approval. Back then, if you had a rash or a boil, you would go before the priest, and the priest would look at it, and the priest would deem whether or not it was signs of leprosy or just a rash or boil, maybe measles or chicken pox. And if, it's, if he wasn't sure, the, the priest would say, why don't you go away? I'm not going to tell you that you're clean. I'm not going to give you the descriptor of being clean. You're not necessarily unclean, but I'm going to let you go away for seven days. I want you to come back. We're going to take a look at this rash, this spot, and then we're going to decide whether or not it's leprosy. When that priest looked at the skin, the rash or the spot, that priest, if he saw that it was signs of leprosy, he would say unclean. And that individual would be cast out. No questions asked. Immediately. No goodbye to family. No hug in the wife and the kids. They thought it was, it was contagious. They could not be around any longer. So they would just push them out of the city. So when, the, when these ten lepers hear Jesus say, go to the priest, they go. They know they need the approval of man. They need the approval of the priest. So can you imagine walking? And having a missing leg or a missing arm or just this disfigurement. And as you're walking to the priest, I mean, I just, this, this is one of those things that I can't wait to get to heaven to find out exactly how this happened. But I just can't, like, just walking 
and all of a sudden your leg appears. Or walking and you look over at your buddy and you realize he's got his nose back. I mean, that's just, thank you, Trip. That just to me seems like, I mean, that to me, that's just so strange. I can't imagine what that's like, like walking and then all of a sudden realizing that I'm not limping anymore. Why am I not limping? Because I'm, I've got another foot. Or I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I mean, I know it's, I really don't. My feeble mind, I'm just like, how did this happen? How did this happen? And so as they are walking, and as they recognize that their disfigurement has disappeared, that they have been healed, what takes place? It says, as they went, they were cleansed. So we know that they were cleansed as they were going. Not when they arrived, as they were going. So in faith, they leave because Jesus tells them to go. They leave, and in faith, they're healed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turns back. One. One leper. It's pretty interesting. When I handed out those $10 bills, for my illustration, I was counting on about eight people saying thank you. Eight people. I was, I'm telling you, it would have been perfect for ten people to say thank you. I mean, that would have been ideal. And I know right now we can't remember who was the one that stood up to get the money. So those that stood up to get money, I wouldn't, I'd put that $10 away so that no one would see it in your, in your pocket or something like that. But the reality is, is I handed out ten $10 bills. Those ten, ten people that stood up to receive a $10 bill were going about their day just like any other day. And all of a sudden, someone comes along and gives you something you weren't expecting. Isn't it interesting that only one of y'all said thank you? That is really interesting. I don't expect you to say thank you. It wasn't my money. It was the venue's money. I mean, I didn't, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't like say go. And when they walked and they were healed, Jesus didn't wait there and go, okay, okay, okay. Nope, they all got it back. I mean, can you imagine going to the point where you're walking? You got your limb back? Yes, I'm going to the priest, and all of a sudden Jesus sees that you didn't return, and all of a sudden the limb falls right back off? That would be a bad day. But I did find it very interesting that of the 10 people that received a $10 bill, only one said thank you. None of y'all were expecting that. And yet, and maybe because y'all weren't expecting it, that you didn't really know how to respond to it. Or, well, I'm not going to figure it out. I'm not a counselor. All I know is my illustration, I thought bombed, but I think it worked really well. Thank you, Jesus. So what do we know about this one leper? Man, I can't wait. Next time someone says I need 10 volunteers, I would not stand because I don't think it's going to be money. So what do we know about the one leper? So 10 left, one recognizes he's been healed, and what does he do? He turns back. There are five or six things, I don't know how many I have, that make me think of this one leper's response. One, he responds immediately. Immediately. He saw that he was healed, turned back. He saw that he was healed, he turned back. He did not wait. Immediately. And we know that because he says, he saw that he was healed and he turned back. Two, is because he encounters Jesus again. When he turns back, he encounters Jesus again. Once Jesus told them to go to the priest, I don't think Jesus stood around and waited for them to return. 
I think he was continuing on with his journey. So because one of them came back to him shows that to me, and I could be wrong, often am, that he quickly responded to what he saw Jesus do. Thing is, is nothing was going to hold him back in returning to Jesus. Nothing. His companions, they kept going. The people that he's been hanging out with, living life with, his community, kept going. He encountered Jesus. And he wasn't going to let religion get in the way of going back to Jesus. So he responded immediately. Second, he wanted Jesus. He wanted Jesus. Before they all wanted Jesus, have mercy on us. But once they were healed, only one of them truly showed that he wanted Jesus. The one that returned understood the importance of the priest. The one who returned knew that he needed the approval of the priest. But the one returned because why? He just encountered the high priest. He was willing, he was willing to put on hold the things of the world in order to get back to Jesus. He was looking for a relationship. He wasn't looking for religion. The other nine, the other nine, they wanted the approval of the priest. The other nine wanted the approval of the priest because they knew that in order to get the, once they got the approval of the priest, they were going to be able to get back into their community. It was about them, not about Jesus. What do we see next? It says, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his feet at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He worshiped openly and humbly. He worshiped openly and humbly. Here is a man that had been stricken with a raspy voice, or no voice at all, has spent his days getting together with others, trying to lift their voice so that they could be heard as they begged for help and mercy. And what does this leper do when he recognizes that he was healed? He immediately turns back, runs to Jesus, and with a loud voice, worships him. Worships him with a loud voice. Look, we would have understood if he just used a whisper. I mean, that's what he was used to. Or no voice at all. That's what he was used to. But he just encountered Jesus. He encountered the high priest. And whispering was not going to do it. A soft voice was not going to do it. It says... With a loud voice, he praised God. And then what does he do? He falls on his face because he recognizes that he's broken. He recognizes that he's broken. He's been healed. He runs back to Jesus with a loud voice praising him, and he falls at his feet. He falls at his feet. And it's interesting 
Because as he's at, at Jesus' feet, says Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Twice, Jesus asked the, the one healed leper, where are your friends? Where are the rest of you? Where are the rest of the bunch? And we know that the leper was a little bit different. The leper was a Samaritan, it says, because it calls out clearly, clearly now he was a Samaritan. So as a Samaritan, wouldn't it be easy to stand up after falling at the feet of Jesus when Jesus says, where are the other nine, and just throw them completely under the bus? You know what, Jesus? I cannot believe. I told them to come. I told them to come, but they didn't. Here I am, a Samaritan. I came to you. I'm coming to worship you, but no, none of those. No, they, they went on their way. They care more about the approval of the priest than, than you. Absolutely not. You see, when this healed leper falls at the feet of Jesus, when he recognizes that he's been healed and that he's been cleansed and he runs back to Jesus and he worships with a loud voice and he falls at his feet and Jesus says, where are the other ten? Where are the other nine? Weren't ten healed? He understands his brokenness. He's not worried about the others. He's got his own problems that he has to deal with. At that moment, he had encountered Jesus, and Jesus healed him, and he was in awe of his healer. He was in awe of his Savior. And worrying about and wondering about and looking down on the others, that was not on his agenda. On his agenda was worshiping and praising the Father. So all ten were healed. All ten were healed, but we clearly see That when he says, and he said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. King James, instead of well, uses the word whole. You have been made whole. Does it mean that the other nine lepers were not healed? No, they were healed. They experienced and encountered Jesus. And Jesus had compassion and had mercy on them and healed them. And so they remained healed, but only one through the lips of Jesus, was confirmed that he was made whole. And that was after he fell at the feet of Jesus and praised him and worshiped him. I started out the sermon by reading Second Chronicles 20. And you're probably wondering why in the world did I read Second Chronicles 20? I'm glad you asked. So about uh, five weeks ago, many of you know that we were... Um, or I'm, not, I'm not so prideful. Some of y'all may know we have a, we work on a coffee truck, <laughs> and uh, and there was a deadline coming up on this coffee truck, and a lot of things need to be done on this coffee truck, and um, not a lot of days left to do those things on the coffee truck. And one particular uh, event that needed to take place is we needed to basically blast the outside of the truck. We had about a week to go. This was like the Memorial Day weekend, and we had to be done by June 1st. And so we needed the truck to be blasted. Well, if y'all recall, all of Memorial Week was supposed to be like 90 to 100% chance of rain. 
And we, we, the, the week before that, we brought our truck in, thinking it was going to be done the weekend prior to Memorial Day, and therefore we'd be good. But they didn't do it. They didn't get it done. And so we realized that, you know, we were kind of in trouble. In trouble. We have a June 1st deadline. It's supposed to be 90% chance of rain. This thing needs to be blasted outside. It was kind of hopeless. Kind of hopeless. And so as a family... Um, well, we gathered together and we said, you know what? We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to worship the Lord. We have nothing else to do. We don't know what else to do. We can't make the rain stop. We can't do anything. So we decided as a family, it was a Tuesday morning. It was, there was a 100% chance of rain that afternoon and 90% chance of rain the next morning and the rest of the week. And so I took out my guitar and we were going to sing, and Leisha opens her Bible, and it lands on Second Chronicles 20. And she starts reading Second Chronicles 20. And not to reread it, but here, Jehoshaphat, you have these three tribes, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meonites. And they're coming to attack Jehoshaphat and his tribe. And so Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord. And as Alicia read this to us, we were amazed. I felt like we were living this. I felt like the weather was the tribes that were coming against us. And we, being Jehoshaphat, we were afraid. And so we set our face unto the Lord. And we prayed. But one thing that's interesting about the story about Jehoshaphat is that yes, they prayed. But what's interesting is that they praised. They praised. And what happens is, one of the prophets, while they were gathering, prophesied and and basically said, don't be afraid, Jehoshaphat, for this battle is not yours, it is God's. It is God's. He said, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. He says, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And so as we were worshiping that morning, as we were praising the Lord, as we were playing the guitar and singing songs and just encountering, having our own time of worship, we realized that this is not a burden we need to carry. Now, we were not praying, asking the Lord for good weather. We were not praying that things could get done. We were worshiping God for who He is. We were, and this is by God's grace. Self, it's hard to worship. We want to focus on self. But here we had an opportunity to worship and to praise our Father for who He is. Jehoshaphat says, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And what does Jehoshaphat? He bows his head with his face to the ground and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Kind of like that one leper. That one leper recognized who Jesus was and with a loud voice praised him and then fell at the feet of Jesus and worshiped him. 
And Jehoshaphat gets word that the battle is not his, but the battle is the Lord. And what is Jehoshaphat's response? He bows his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And then the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So in the moment of trial, they're praising the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord. Then they rise up the early, early the next morning, and they go out into the wilderness. And when they're out there, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe as prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, this is, to me, this is probably one of the funniest verses of this. He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, so when you go out into battle and you're about to go against three tribes and they outnumber you, who do you put on the front line? The show choir. It's like glee. Glee is going out before you to fight this battle. And that's ultimately what has taken place here. I mean, they're about to go out and get annihilated. But they've been told that, hey, the battle's not yours. The battle's the Lord's. So what do they do? They worship, they praise. And then to go out to fight, Jehoshaphat, he appoints those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army and they say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. So here you have three tribes coming to destroy Jehoshaphat and his tribe. And Jehoshaphat's response is, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I trust you. You are a king. I trust you. And then it's prophesied that, hey, the battle's not yours. The battle's the Lord's. And he falls on his face, and he worships God, and he praises him. Then they prepare to go into battle, and what does he do? He gets the worship team together, the choir. And he puts them on the front line, and they go into battle and as they worship and as they praise, these three tribes beat each other up, destroy themselves, fight with one another to the point where it says, when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde and behold, behold there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. Jehoshaphat did not lift one finger. Instead, they lifted their voices. They lifted their voices in praise and worship, and the enemy destroyed itself. And it said, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. There were three days. They spent three days taking their spoil. Three days. And what did they do on the fourth day? They worshiped, and they praised. They praised on the front end, the enemy destroys itself. They praise on the back end. They spent a whole day praying. As a matter of fact, they said, it says they prayed in the valley, uh, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Baraka to this day. It's called the valley of blessings. Baraka is blessings. The valley of blessings. So then what do they do? After spending a fourth day worshiping the Lord and praising him for what he did, they return. 
And when they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. To the house of the Lord. Here, Jehoshaphat and his tribe go out and without lifting a finger, but lifting their voices, they worship and they praise their father. And their father, their father allows them to overcome the enemy. And then what did they do? They worshiped and they praised the Lord. They spent a whole day worshiping and praising the Father. Then they returned and worshiped and praised the Father. Here we have 10 lepers. All 10 of them get healed. They all have faith. They all listen to Jesus. They all follow Jesus' command. Jesus heals the 10. Only one returns to worship. Only one returns to pray. So to finish the story about our example, we sat there and we worshiped the Lord that morning. We did not know how it was going to happen. But we had faith that we knew that this was not our battle. This was the Lord's battle. And so if the Lord's battle, if this was the Lord's battle, we were going to worship him. If it rained all week, we had to come to grips that that was okay because we were going to worship him. If he made it stop raining, we were going to worship him. He was in control, and there was great delight in that. That afternoon, it goes from 100% chance of rain to 0%. From 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock, 0% chance of rain. We worship Jesus. But they didn't finish the truck. Still work to be done. We're sitting here going, here's the wind of opportunity. If they could only see what we're seeing. If only these workers knew what we had been praying, they would say, well, 0% chance of rain, we're going to knock this thing out. But they didn't. They took their time. And so we woke up the next morning, 80% chance of rain. Lord, it's okay. We're going to worship you and we're going to praise you. And whatever happens, happens. But you are God and I am not. And I'm okay with that. You're our Heavenly Father, and you love your children, and you want your best for these children. If your best is not for this truck to get finished, I have to be okay with that. 80% chance of rain. Within 30 minutes, 0% chance of rain till noon. And thankfully, they got it done. They got it done. And we got together, and we praised, and we worshiped. Now, I like to think that we worship as much as we did on the front end, but I don't think we did. It's easy on the front end to say, Lord, have mercy on us, like the ten lepers do. Have mercy on us, and then when he does it, we go on our way. And that's what our fault, my father-in-law and Alicia's dad tried to instill in us. Don't be like the other nine, and just go on your way. Be like the one and return and give thanks and worship. And then we had to remind ourselves a day later when we realized we were going to miss the deadline again. We are like the Israelites. Like, God, why didn't you just leave us back there when we couldn't get it done? It would been a lot easier, but here you bring us through the truck. And now we've got four days, and it's not going to get done. We started to grumble. We started to complain. Alicia and I both cried. It was a bad day. And so we had to worship again. And we had to praise again. And we had to come to our Father again and say, Lord, whatever happens, happens. You're God and I'm not. You're our Father and you want your best for us. And if this truck's not to get done, that is okay. 
and the Lord allowed it to get done. Many people in this room were able to be a part of that. The Lord allowed it to get done. Why? So that we can say, good job, Tommy and Alicia. Mm-mm. So that he would get the glory. So that he would get the glory. When the nine lepers, lepers went to the priest, and, and probably the, we don't know what happened, but my guess is the priest saw them and said, okay, you're made whole, back in the community. They went about their lives. They got what they wanted. They were healed. They went about their life. The one leper encountered Jesus and wanted Jesus. So what does this mean for us as our sons, as his sons and his daughters? If you're a child of God this morning, if you're a child of God this morning, you were once unclean. You were once unable to approach Jesus. You were not able to approach the Father. And because of his love and his mercy, he heals you. He heals you. And so then, now that we are his, we go about our lives doing what we want to do. Do we go about our lives living it for us? Worried about self, worried about what others think, worried about community? Or do we recognize, we quick to recognize that our Heavenly Father healed us? Are we quick to recognize that our Heavenly Father healed us? Are we quick to praise Him with a loud voice? Are we quick to fall at His feet in worship? Are we quick to recognize our own brokenness and not worry about someone else's? If you're a child of God, you were once upon a time unable to approach Jesus and Jesus heals you and you recognize that healing, and yet you don't change your life. There's some in this room that have not done that. They continue to live the life they want to live. They know they're healed. But they would rather have acceptance in the world than to openly and humbly worship their Father. And then there's some in this room that are infested with sin. that are at the gates and they recognize Jesus. For the first time, they're recognizing Jesus. For the first time, they're seeing Jesus. And what's their response? What should be your response? If you're here for the first time seeing Jesus, what should be your response? Like the 10 lepers, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And then, when you recognize the mercy of your heavenly Father, that you're quick to turn and to run to him and with a loud voice worship him and with a humble heart fall at his feet and recognize your brokenness and be made whole. We see in this account in Luke that the one that praised Jesus was made whole. All of them were made well. But the one that praised Jesus was made whole.
Charles Spurgeon says, we receive a continent of mercies and we only return an island of praise. We receive continent of mercies and we only return an island of praise. It's interesting, prayer is temporary. Prayer is temporary. When we get to heaven, we will no longer be praying. We will no longer be praying. We will be praising. We will be worshiping. We will be crying, holy, holy, holy. That is what we will spend eternity doing, is praising and worshiping our Heavenly Father. So my challenge for us in this room, because I like to say, preach the gospel to yourself daily, and sometimes when I say that, I'm not sure everyone understands what that means or what it means to me. I think it's a little bit of like the ADD. I think people understand where I'm tracking, and a lot of times... I lose track where I'm tracking. When I say preach the gospel to yourself daily, it's daily recognizing who you are in Christ. We can become hard on ourselves, beat ourselves up. But the reality is we need to recognize who we are in Christ. And so preaching the gospel to ourselves is recognizing that we were like the lepers. We were once sick. And God... Our Heavenly Father, through His love and through His mercy for us, He made us well. Not because we deserved it, but because He's a compassionate Father and He made us well. And so when we recognize that we're well, are we quick to worship? Are we quick to live for ourselves? So I would ask, if you've encountered Jesus, praise Him. Praise Him openly. Praise Him humbly. Praise Him. We're about to take communion. And this is a sweet opportunity for us to worship the Lord. Because you see, we take communion because the bread recognizes the body of Jesus that was broken on the cross. And the the juice represents the blood that was shed on the cross for us. And it tells us in the word that if we take that in a way that's not pleasing to the Lord, um, well, it tells us not to. It tells us not to take it in an unworthy manner. So what is a worthy manner in which you take communion? Taking communion in a worthy manner is this. When you go up and you take the bread and you dip it in the juice, you recognize that you were a leper. And that by God's grace and mercy and compassion, he heals you. And this is your opportunity to worship him and to praise him for what he's done for you and what he will continue to do for you because he is our father. Our father who is madly in love with his children. Madly in love with his children. Madly in love with his children. That's just, you can't fathom that. I cannot fathom that. But he is madly in love with us. Let's pray.